0: Welcome to Lydia Finette's Claim Your Confidence, a podcast that will introduce you to the most powerful women in the world as they talk about their own confidence journey. No matter what obstacles you face, Claim Your Confidence will inspire you, motivate you, and give you a roadmap to live the life you want. So, are you ready to claim your confidence Hi everyone, and welcome to Claim Your Confidence. I'm Lydia Finette in Newsstand Studios in New York City. It's a beautiful day here, and I'm wondering, have you ever thought about what it would be like to bring your authentic self to your social media platforms? Well, I have Eli Rallo here today, who's a New York City-based content creator, podcast host, and author who uses her social media platforms to promote authenticity and self-confidence to her viewers. Almost a million followers follow her accounts where nothing is taboo and nothing is left unsaid. But that wasn't the way her relationship with social media started. So we're going to hear more from Eli after a word from our sponsors. Welcome back to Claim Your Confidence. Eli, I'm so excited to have you on the show today.
1: I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: It's so fun to be sitting across from somebody who has such a different skill set than so many of the guests that I've had on right now. I feel like just by nature of the fact that social media is in your tagline, I feel like most of the people here are already going to be paying rapt attention. But I know for you, it didn't all start with social media. So tell me a little bit about who you were when you grew up.
1: Sure. So I grew up in New Jersey, very suburban, small town in Monmouth County. I have two very great and encouraging parents, which is such a privilege. And I'm so lucky to have them who always really encouraged me to pursue the things that I wanted to go after. I think I was a very vocal child. So when I asked my parents how I like got into theater and wanted to do that because neither of them are really theater people by like nature of the definition, they said, I just like asked when I was three years old to do singing and acting and dancing. And I I never really looked back. So I'm very grateful that I grew up in a family that really prioritized, first of all, like entrepreneurship. My dad owns restaurants and he owns businesses. So I was always kind of like on the ground in that very entrepreneurial way as he was growing the businesses throughout my childhood. And then also encouraged creativity and the arts and were really down to just celebrate my passions. And I know that that's something that so many people can't say they had in their childhood. And I think those two meetings of the mind. So sort of having that like background in restaurants really, and kind of seeing somebody create something from nothing and also being in the theater where what you do is create things out of nothing. It was really interesting and I think really fueled my desire to be a creative and a creator. And that led me to college where I studied theater. And then one thing led to the next, really. And one thing <laughs> led,
0: and then that's the end of the story. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. It's funny, my oldest daughter is very into theater and it's such an incredible way to watch a child come into their own because yeah. you're putting them outside of their comfort zone, which is exactly where you find confidence. Absolutely. But tell me about those early days in the theater. Were you confident going on stage? Do you remember when you were younger what it was like on those first times walking onto the stages? You know, I think what I really loved about the
1: theater is that it's such an accepting place. You know, it really always confuses me when families have rules about kids having to play sports because I can acknowledge like how you can find confidence through athletics and also team building and teamwork and like, you know, doing something as a collaborative team. I don't think that it holds a candle to what you can learn from the arts and specifically theatrical environments. It's just the most welcoming place. So even though I was a pretty, I would say insecure and just like not super self-confident person with like a facade of being super confident throughout my adolescence, I just always felt welcome in theatrical spaces. And so I was never afraid to be on stage because it was a safe space for me, which is so interesting. because I think so many people are like, I have stage fright. I could never get up on stage. Mm -hmm. For me, it was like I was creating stories with other people who loved and accepted me. I could be as weird or strange or quirky as I wanted to be with those people and they didn't bat an eye. It yeah. wasn't like walking into middle school or high school where you're the weird kid if you do theater. It was, we're all weirdos, but we love that. Yeah, <laughs> And I think that also being around people from so many walks of life, especially in community theater, because pretty early on I was doing community theater and meeting people who were like waiters and waitresses by day or teachers by day or mm-hmm. people that had children, but their passion was theater. So they were still doing it when they were 30, 40, 50. And back then I was 10 or nine or eight years old. Getting to learn from those people was something really, really, special and while I don't remember like the first few times I ever walked on stage I can't really remember my life without being in and around the theater it's always been a part of my life and it's never been something that I like slept
0: on or took a step back from. I love that. I love that. I definitely did community theater as a child. I still have horrible memories of being in (laughs) Oliver Twist, where my brother, my older brother just had an amazing voice. So he was always sort of cast in the lead. And I was like, tree three. Um, (laughs) But in this case, I was an orphan. And mom will be laughing when I say this, but they literally took me to get a bowl cut because it was like serious community theater. Dedicated. So I had a true bowl cut to be a boy in orphanage. And I still, to this day, cannot get a haircut as a result of that. (laughs) You're like, it ruined my hair forever. But I do agree. And as someone who's on stage literally every night taking auctions, I don't think that there is a better training ground for life than being in the theater because it prepares you for, as you said, everything. And you get to be who you want to be. You also get to discover a lot about who you are. And getting over stage fright is probably the best thing you can do for a kid. So get those kids into the theater. Yes. So the theater took you to college or you just ended up going somewhere. I mean, did you end up minoring or majoring in theater?
1: Yes. So... When I was probably a senior in high school or a junior in high school rather, I realized that I definitely wanted to study theater in some capacity in college. I just couldn't imagine not doing it. And I wasn't a very academic person. Mm -hmm. I won't say I'm not smart because, you know, I think it's important to recognize our strengths. And I do think I am smart. But book smart in terms of like math and sciences in school, I just like wasn't interested in it to be honest. And I've read a quote before that said like if your child isn't good at math but they excel in tennis, hire a tennis coach, not a math tutor. Mm -hmm. You know, lift up your kids in their strengths instead of focusing all your time and energy on making them good at things that they either don't like or doesn't come naturally to them. So I got by in those subjects but the creative arts and then also writing were like the two biggest things for me. Mm -hmm. So I was originally going to go and major in bfa performance which is like the goal would be to be on broadway yeah i had like sort of a rude awakening when i was a early senior so about to start the audition process for like colleges for musical theater where i realized i'm just not good enough to be a musical theater performer and i don't say that to be cruel or self-loathing i just think it was really sort of obvious to me one yeah, day you i realized
0: like, there are tears right i just
1: realized like i love this so much but I am not going to be on Broadway. This is not like my God-given talent. Yeah. If there is such a thing, this isn't something that comes supernatural to me. Like I'm killing myself to figure out how to to mixed belt and going to like a million voice lessons every single week. And while Broadway performers do do that, they also have that talent like yeah. buried within them. <laughs> they wake them. up
0: and they just, yeah, it's they like just, they can belt it's gorgeous, it. gorgeous, of yeah. course.
1: And so I was kind of like, instead of doing that, what if I pivoted and found a way to still be in and around the theater, but did something that I have like a strength in. Mm -hmm. So that's when I found Michigan's program and Michigan has the best BFA musical theater in the country. So I still wanted to go somewhere where the performers were going to be top notch Mm -hmm. because I wanted to be around creative collaborators who are really serious about their craft. Michigan has a program called the Bachelor Theater Art and it's a catch all for anybody who wants to do theatrical producing, entertainment producing. If you want to like go to law school and be like a theatrical lawyer and entertainment lawyer, you could start there. They have theater education, directing, playwriting, kind of everything. There are even classes for like going to prisons and meeting incarcerated individuals and teaching them about the theater. It's wow. amazing.
0: Really runs the gamut. It runs I mean, the gamut. From the lawyer to the person who's also in the jails, like really anything Exactly. You want. Like yeah. social
1: justice and theater, yeah. reform and theater. It's really beautiful. I was like, that's where I want to be because yeah. I will be able to consistently be surrounded by people and I'll be able to write or lead, which I realized were my two strengths. Mm-hmm. And I feel like my parents were like, wow, that's really like, somehow you like really know yourself as a yeah, 17 I was year say, old. I
0: mean, I feel like people stumble into college without any idea of what they want and it seems like you've been on a path really since the minute you walked into that theater as an early girl maybe.
1: Yeah, I think also I my parents specifically my dad is like a go-getter. Like I said, mm-hmm. he's a business owner and I've watched the trials and tribulations of owning businesses since I was young. He his dad was also a restaurant owner and he worked in his dad's fish market and pizzeria as a kid. And he kind of like had this passion for serving people and for hospitality. And I watched him go from somebody who was like, figuring out how to own restaurants when my grandfather passed, all the way up to somebody who I would consider to be a powerhouse in the restaurant and hospitality field. And he just always told me, like, don't take no as an answer. Just, like, keep going, keep pushing. If you Mm -hmm. love something, do it. That was always ingrained in me from him. And so even though I was a very insecure and, like, not self-confident person going into this, like, college theater environment the thing that was larger was the knowing that I had to do it. And that I would figure out how to develop my own self-confidence and figure out my insecurities. But I ha- I couldn't like walk away from that passion. It was like too large. yeah. And so that was kind of like my journey to getting to college where I studied theater.
0: And it was in college where we see this interesting intersection in your story, because this is where social media really comes into your life. So you're 24 years old. When was it that you began using social media? High school?
1: Yes. So I think Instagram came up when I was in eighth grade. Mm -hmm. So I was 12.
0: And did you get a phone
1: when you were 12? Yes. I had a phone when I was 12 um, and I had Instagram. I remember my dad being like, the iPhone is so cool. Like there are all these apps. Mm -hmm. I remember finding Instagram and loving sharing. I'm really passionate about audience. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was young, people would be like, this girl has too many interests. You're all over the place. People would always tell me that because I was interested in politics. I was interested in journalism. I liked poetry. I liked reading and novels. I liked short form essay. I liked theater. I liked all of these things. But the central thing with all of that is audience. Politicians have an audience. Mm -hmm. Journalists have an audience. Authors and poets and theater creators and performers have an audience. And audience is something that we don't talk about ever. But when an audience sits and watches something or reads something or takes something in, that has the ability to inspire them to go out and change things, to go have a dialogue, to bolster a belief they already had, to change their minds, for them to disagree with you and have a conversation about that. I was always like super passionate about audience. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the reason that I gravitated toward liking Instagram specifically when it first came up because it's just like an automatic audience to share creations with. And so I was always using Instagram as more of a content creator and less as like somebody that had it for the social aspect of like looking at friends posts and stories i loved the idea of like creating on the app so even when i didn't have followers in college or my followers were like pretty much just your people friends in and, my life yeah. i was like always on public always like making a poll on the stories posting a meme or something funny on the grid i was just like creative with it and so tiktok didn't come into my life until far after because I was a senior in college when TikTok like started to become a thing Mm -hmm. and I got sent home for COVID. So I wasn't really like doing the TikTok thing then, but Instagram was always part of my life throughout college for sure.
0: And it was during college that you found this very uncomfortable situation with Instagram, right? Where you all of a sudden realized that you were addicted to the likes and to the issue that a lot of people have with Instagram, which is that it's a curation of life. It's not the good, bad and the ugly. It's really the highlight reel.
1: Yeah, I think that and I did a TED talk about this at my alma mater at Michigan, where I was just talking about when you aren't a super confident person and you're going through something. And I think for me, what I was going through was the adjustment to freshman year of college. I was not like thriving or Mm -hmm. living my best life in the way that I felt like a lot of people online were. Mm -hmm. And obviously I think at the end of the day, everybody feels the discomforts of that sort of move from high school to college, (laughs) but everybody's just posting this highlight reel. And I sort of got sucked into that for a variety of reasons. I was in a toxic relationship. I sort of thought that I should like reinvent myself and not be like the weirdo theater dork anymore. I should like join a sorority and like be a cool girl. I'm,
0: like that did not feel comfortable to you. No, that all felt ant- antithetical to who you terrible, really are. Terrible,
1: terrible. And I think like part of me thought like this idea that you can reinvent yourself. Nobody here knows you. You can be whoever you want was sort of attractive to me in a way because I was like, OK, like I should I should do that. And then obviously social media became what I used to like make that happen in Mm -hmm. a way because truthfully deep down I was always like the quirky introvert theater dorky writer kid But if I could put out a version of myself online that was like a bit cooler in a way or, you know, a bit more, a bit thinner, a bit prettier, a bit more hip, a bit more trendy, then that could like be who I really was essentially, especially to people back home or at other schools who weren't with me on a day to day basis. So I think I've had like ups and downs with Instagram specifically in that way.
0: Did you find that your friends who were watching this all go down on Instagram? Would they say anything to you like, huh? That's curious. That's not exactly who I thought you were. Or was it just this was what everyone was doing? So you were just kind of caught up in that wave?
1: I think it was what everybody was doing. I think everybody is like so concerned with themselves, especially when you're 18 years old, you're a freshman in college. Everyone's trying to put out this like amazing like version of what it is because everybody tells you, oh, this is the best four years of your life. So you feel this like very strange pressure to live up to that reality. And so I think that nobody ever said anything because first of all, it wasn't like explicit. Mm-hmm. And so, Second of all, like I think I was grappling with things that those people might not have even known about me because maybe I was only being my truest self when I was like in theatrical environments and spaces or with my family mm-hmm. or with like one or two close deep friends. But at that point, everybody else probably thought of me differently because I was sort of like hiding that side of myself or like squashing it down pretty like unintentionally throughout middle and high school. And then when I got to college, I was like I can continue to push this down mm-hmm. and now I really have the chance to blossom into someone else. And that's what I tried to do. And so at some point, you deleted Instagram. Is that right? I took a break. Mm-hmm. I had like people in my ear telling me I was like obsessed with social media. Did
0: you feel like that, or those were friends telling you that?
1: Friends telling me that. But I understood what they were saying. I certainly liked it more than they did. And I like, enjoyed posting and I posted at a larger volume than like anybody else I knew. Almost in a way that somebody that like gets paid to do it for a job would. Yeah. And at this point though, when I was a senior, there was a lot of growth. I think when I was a sophomore junior, I had this realization that like if you're awake for 16 hours a day hating yourself for 12 of them is not a way to live a life. Like right. that's ridiculous right. and painful and doesn't make sense and it's something that you're doing to yourself. And I really freed myself from that and I started to like go all in on the theater stuff, all in on writing for the newspaper, all in on being who I really wanted to be
0: and playing to your strengths. Of
1: course, but there was still so much, like there was still so much growth to be had. You never stop growing, but I was maybe like halfway there. And I I think in some ways I was still using social media as that like crutch or facade, even though freshman and sophomore year to senior year is like night and day difference. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to take this break from social media and kind of like see what happened. And at the same time, I was focusing on this writing piece I was doing for this class about my grandmother who I never met and sort of like hunting through history of her and everything. And it was really interesting time to not be online because I was so like focused in the past and reflecting. But when I got to the other side of it, the only realization I really had about not being online was that I took less photos because I didn't have anywhere to post them. Mm. And I was like, okay. That was really
0: the only realization. Otherwise, you felt nothing shifted.
1: Because I felt like, okay, well, you can't use this as a crutch, but you still feel those like insecurities or anxieties. Like this isn't preventing you from growing. Maybe it's not helping you, Mm. but everybody villainizing you liking this because they perceive it as vapid. That's not really your problem. Like, you get to decide how you feel about this thing. Mm-hmm. And so then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to drop the facade. Mm-hmm. Maybe that'll help because I haven't really realized anything else other than the fact that like the facade still exists and like I need to just let go yeah. of it totally. And so in my TED talk, I talk about this as well. That's when I just was like, F- it sort of, yeah. for lack of a better phrase. I'm not, I'm no longer going to continue to put up this facade and even though I can look back and say it's been way worse I used to like hyper edit and curate everything I posted it was all a lie yeah I'm still doing that to some degree and I should just make this an extension of my brain and my thoughts and me authentically if I can and I managed to do that and then soon after was TikTok so I think it's an interesting thing to reflect on
0: yeah was there fear when you were starting to put yourself out there
1: I had this realization that I'm very, very close with my family and this is something that I know so many people can't say. And I'm so lucky to have my brothers, like we're very close. And then I have like two or three like best close friends who are like my people and then a lot of other friends. And I told myself like, okay, so what's gonna happen if you just drop the bullshit and you're 100% you every single day of your life, you might lose some people, but why would you have wanted those people in your life anyway? Right. Like. If you're getting on this train to go be you why don't you just focus on the people getting on the train with you and not the people who are like i'm gonna wait at the station because i don't like this yeah and i just realized that and i always say this is sort of my mantra if you're doing your best and you're working hard and you're being kind to yourself and others and someone doesn't like you that's just like a projection not a reflection that's a personality conflict not everyone's gonna like you why would you focus any time energy anything on those people when they are people on the train with you yeah. who love you. And so I think I was like kind of okay with it because I was like, who cares about them? Yeah. And realistically, there weren't many of them. So
0: it's also interesting too, because at the end of the day, if you're dropping the facade, then that's the real you who everybody who's surrounding you already is with you because they love that person, yeah. right? They're not there because they like the person on Instagram who's wearing the nice dress. Totally. If that's not really who you totally. are. Totally. So that sort of intersected with the end of college for you, is that right? And you were sent home from the pandemic. Yes. So tell me about the pandemic because that was really for you a completely defining moment in terms of the career trajectory that you're currently on.
1: Totally. And I think that something that's really interesting that a lot of people might not know about me is that the pandemic looked very different for me and my family than it did for a lot of people because we didn't close the restaurants. And obviously the restaurants were under restriction. They're in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. So we closed some of our restaurants because we had six at the time, but we were working every single day. I was masked up working. There was about between 10 and 15 people at all three of our restaurants in New Jersey. And that was the core crew because we couldn't have more than 10 to 15 people because that complicates things with the virus, obviously. So on a day-to-day basis, I'm at one of the restaurants, my brothers are at another restaurant, my parents are at another restaurant and we're just doing whatever we can. Like all
0: hands on deck. All hands
1: on deck. I was running to go orders. We had never done delivery before. I'm driving the delivery car, cashier, whatever happens. Okay, every single day there's a new rule or rules taken away or new regulation or how do we get this or how do we do that? It was really crazy. And obviously, did I have the hardest time? Absolutely not. In no way am I saying that. Luckily, knock on wood, I never got COVID in the past three years and my family was healthy and safe and the restaurants ended up okay. But it was really interesting because my POV of the pandemic was not sitting inside doing nothing. And I wish it was like a lot of people, I think, got to really like focus on certain things about themselves. It was every day at work and then after work, since we had our like quarantine pods with the people that we worked with, we would just like hang out or people would come to my house from the restaurants and we would eat and drink and listen to music and dance and have fun. And so when I started posting on TikTok, it was really that. Obviously it was like this jar concept, but it was just like with the extra time in the day, with like the subsidiary joy I was getting to experience by being surrounded by people, frankly, because I'm lucky to say that I got to be surrounded by 10 people every single day. and interact from a distance with customers within guidelines. I kind of had this like, I don't want to say joyful time because it wasn't joyful and it was horrible and harrowing and like so defining for so many reasons. But I was a bit distracted because I was working. Yeah. And so I think that was really interesting how that like sort of like comes in context or connects with my TikTok thing because I was posting as like, a fun side hustle hobby and it wasn't like all my focus. Like my focus was working and helping my parents. And then that was like the other thing. Yeah, And that's really interesting because obviously now it's like, this is my focus. So yeah, that was really like, that was my time in the pandemic. And I know a lot of people don't know that I was working the whole time, but it was definitely an interesting experience.
0: So for you, it really started with the jar. Yes. Tell me a little bit about that. So
1: growing up, we just had like this snack jar that we would like fill with sort of like a random assortment of trail mix. It's very funny, silly. My brothers and I had all gotten back from work one day, pandemic, and we were like, okay, like what are we gonna do tonight? Because we wanted to like watch something, open wine, whatever it was. We're like, oh, let's like refill the jar. I was getting a handle on TikTok as like a funny thing. I would like make fun videos to send to my friends and be like, oh, I made this for us, but it was never on public. And I happened to like make a random video and post it. And I put it on public and it went viral. I don't even really like remember like exactly everything, but I remember the next day people being like, what is this? And so I made like an explanation video. It was super funny. I did a voiceover. I introduced myself and I made that at work. So I'm at work manning the phone on my phone making this video and then that one went even more viral and then it just took off from there and again like it was a fun thing that I was doing it was like everybody thought it was so funny and goofy and silly it was like a a day brightener especially on those days when things at the restaurants got really difficult because obviously small businesses and family-run businesses took a hit and I think it was like a spirit a spirit that came to us and was like, this is so fun. This is so joyful. This is like a thing that we can do to enjoy our days. And that's kind of how it started at first.
0: So tell me what it means when something goes viral, because I don't think (laughs) I, I honestly think Gen Z speaks in a completely different language. And I feel like I hear this said constantly, this went viral, this went viral. But explain to me what that means and what happens after that.
1: Sure. I don't think you can put a number on virality. I mean, you could probably. I don't know what it would be because to me, virality is going to be different from someone who's never posted and then post something and gets 100K. They're going to say that's viral. So I think like the level of virality depends on like who you are, how much you post, how used to it you are. But it essentially means you post something that enough people see that it becomes a part of the cultural conversation as it relates to the internet. So I'm trying to think of something that was like recently like viral, like I mean, anything you post about Taylor Swift these days will be viral. Usually those are viral moments. Like Taylor Swift can create a viral moment out of thin air. It becomes part of like-
0: (laughs) She walks on the street. It's a viral moment. moment. Yeah, it's a viral
1: moment. I can't think of like something. (sighs) I'm trying to think of something that I've posted recently that became about, oh, recently I posted about like some actress in Wicked had sang a song a certain way that I had never heard it before. And I decided to like make a video explaining the choice. And it got like a million plus views. And then like the actress saw it and then people started to talk about it. And so for theater TikTok, it was a viral moment. It became a part of a cultural conversation last week, two weeks ago about this song and this choice on theater talk. So I think the definition of virality changes. Like that first video that I ever posted viral, it had like 100,000 views the first day, but the second one got a million. So like my definition of virality was shifting like as I post each new thing.
0: A couple of years ago, did an auction with a gentleman named Kid Super, who's okay. a Brooklyn-based streetwear designer, who then did the fall collection for LVMH for cool. Louis Vuitton the next the next season. Um, and we created this fake auction, and he'd come to me with this concept of selling art that was all based on designs that he had created. So he created the design, he created the artwork, and we made a huge fashion show out of it in Paris. So I would start the auction... For the piece of work as someone was walking down the runway that's and it really had to be cool. sold by the end. It went viral. Yeah. And all of a sudden I'm getting all of these TikTok videos from friends of mine who are much younger being like, this is viral on TikTok. Like yeah. this one, I had absolutely no idea. I don't know do what, what it this it is. meant. I was yeah. like, that's great. But so on the other side of your virality for TikTok of this first video, what happens? Do you pick up a hundred thousand followers and that's all of a sudden catapults you into a different sphere or is just something that happens and disappears and then you crave it and continue to do it?
1: I think it really depends person to person. You know, for me and what happened with me was I had this viral moment in May, and then by July I had a hundred thousand followers. In August I was moving to New York to start my grad degree at Columbia's journalism program. And I made a video basically saying like, I'm sorry if like you came for this jar thing, but I'm not going to really be doing it anymore. And I just want to be upfront about that. Like if you guys like stayed for me, that's awesome. If you want to leave, leave now. Cause I don't want to see complaints. Like I'm just going to move to New York. This is what I'm doing. And I'm going to like take you in on my life and I'll do the jar as much as I can. And at first I really did do it a bunch. So I was like, I will always like the jar long live, but like we're going (laughs) to do this new thing. Long live the jar. We're (laughs) going to do this new thing. And I think that I jumped from like 100,000 followers to like 120,000 followers. Like somehow that video was really, like it, it was taken very well. Mm-hmm. And people were like, we just like you, so we're gonna hang out with you now, which I'm so lucky to have. So I went to grad school and I think when I graduated grad school, I had like 200,000 followers. Mm-hmm. It was still a total hobby. And back then I graduated grad school most two and a half years ago back then you couldn't like monetize TikTok it Mm -hmm. wasn't like people didn't have managers and agents like it was just the reckoning of that starting to happen Mm -hmm. and 200,000 followers didn't seem like enough to do any of that so I got my full-time job in journalism I was working doing that and I started to post these like rules videos and more like advice centered content on Instagram and TikTok. And that bolstered me up to like 300,000 followers. So that's like, then I was there. Then something happened at work that caused me to leave. And I was hoping to find another job in writing. I had a massive jump on TikTok from the rules lists from like 300 to 400,000 and I signed with a management company and a month and a half later my agents reached out to me and they were like, we're literary agents, we see that you're a writer, we think we have an idea for your first book. So it really all like fell together very Nicely, but I guess to answer your question, it was a lot of like push and pull and work. Like I've sat at the same amount of followers for long periods of time mm-hmm. at different points. You know, like to get from zero to seven hundred and eighty-five thousand, which is like how much I have at this very moment today. It's been over three years at this point, and I think a lot of people blow up overnight, which is amazing. But what with, with that comes a lot of like, well, what the f- do I do now? Essentially, like I need a whole entire team. I need publicists. Like I'm getting offered thousands and thousands of, I need a lawyer. I don't understand how to do any of this. I don't even know how to continue to be creative for this people. Like that's hard in its own way. I think the really beautiful thing is that over three and a half years, as I've pushed myself to continue to grow my audience, I've gotten to really know them. Mm-hmm. I have my finger on the pulse of who they are. And I have gotten to meet a lot of them like out and about and around. And as they grow, I get to like grow with them. So I think that's been really special. And no one way is better than the other, either than, you know, Instant virality, overnight success, or the like, I've been pushing at this for three and a half years. I obviously feel like a great sense of pride about that because I won't give up on my people and they don't give up on me. And that's something really special. They've seen me
0: through a lot of eras. Going so. back to that audience, as yes. you say, that's always been super important to you. Yes, so it yes, must yes. be nice to have that. What does it feel like on the flip side of that, knowing that there are that many people watching what you're doing and watching that content? I mean, it's an interesting time right now on social media because it's very easy easy to say the wrong thing, especially in the current environment. So how are you careful? What do you do? What do you say to yourself as you're about to post something? Or is this just something where you're like, I am who I am. And I'm going to go out there and do what I think is right.
1: You know, I think it's a bit of a mix. I have to remind myself like how many people it truly is. Mm -hmm. I went to the University of Michigan. The Michigan big house fits about 115,000 people. So my audience is seven times of the big house. So I try to imagine what it felt like to stand there on a Saturday game day with all of those people and all of that noise and imagine it times seven. That helps me to put it into perspective of like the massive responsibility that I feel I have. I will always try to do my best by my audience. I set out every single morning with the best of intentions. I never want to harm anybody. I never want to say something that harms someone. I will always like speak my truth and from my heart, but I'm also very cognizant and hyper aware of the best intentions being behind everything. That being said, I'm not perfect. So I have said things that have harmed people in the past. I have slipped up, messed up, done things that I deeply regretted or I don't feel reflect who I am. I'm lucky that... I have been able to learn from those things, educate myself from those things, learn from my audience. And because of the trust we've developed, I think they know me and my character. Mm -hmm. That being said, it is hard because in today's day and age, a lot of the things that we're talking about and the conflicts that we're talking about have really loud sides. It's not something as easy as just saying one thing and everybody agreeing with you. And it becomes very complicated and it's really just important to me to be empathetic and to center humanity as much as I can and to use my privilege to help other people. You know, there's no way that I can like, I can get through a door as a woman, but I'm a very privileged white woman who has always been well off, who has never faced so many struggles that other people have faced. I'm a straight woman, all these things. So when I open a door, I'm, always going to plant myself firmly at that door and get as many other people through it. Mm -hmm. That's always been my philosophy. But again, I'm not perfect. So it is challenging. And I think it I talk about it a lot in therapy, because when you're trying your best, and you're actually focused on doing what's right, and you mess up, it sucks. It's a terrible feeling. And it should be a terrible feeling because you messed up. I'm really grateful that my audience has met me with grace and the few times that that has happened to teach me something. Um, You know, we don't see everybody do the same thing. And the conversation that surrounds like cancel culture and content creators is so sort of interesting and divisive and changes every day. And
0: it must be interesting because, As you said, it does change every single day. Changes every day. And speaking of the day, so tell me what the day in the life of a content creator is. I can't even tell you how (laughs) many questions I have for you. But I also know that these questions are the same questions that the people listening, you're using a lot of words that I see written and thrown around. But it's great to have somebody who actually is doing this day to day. So tell me a little bit about what it means to be a content creator and what you look for in the brands that you work with
1: sure so I think it differs for everybody because you know there are certain people that they are tried and true influencers they are influencing people on the latest fashion trends on the latest beauty trends they are makeup creators they are fashion creators or even like dance creators or all of those people they're their big bread and butter is influencing so they are trying out the products they are meeting with brands they are on the floor figuring out the outfits and putting it all together and filming these videos and that's very different from what I do and I think I would absolutely suck at that. It is so hard.
0: Like <laughs> so much work. It's so much work. See, people it's, like changing in the street out of a piece of luggage. No, literally, like, oh, I'm Lord. like, they
1: are doing the damn thing. <laughs> they are doing and they're it. influencing me on a day-to-day basis. So I, I can't speak to those people exactly. And also having my podcast and being a writer is a little different. But my day in the life is usually like, I will get up usually at seven. I will check my calendar the night before to see what I have on the schedule. Usually, there's like a bunch of different things. Sometimes it's like, a meeting with a brand or a meeting with a sponsor that's going to sponsor my book tour or filming some ads. And in addition, I'll have like book press that I have to do or I'll go on someone else's podcast. I'll be planning my own podcast, whatever. I'll see how that looks. And every day is different, which is really great. I try to find time every single day, probably like an hour to get dedicated toward making content for TikTok and Instagram. Mm -hmm. And that differs also on a day to day basis, depending on like what I feel passionate about creating that day.
0: And do you post every day multiple times?
1: Yes. I would say TikTok, people are used to seeing five to eight videos a day. Five to
0: eight videos.
1: And that's like, gosh, they call this posting, quote unquote. And I won't say that that's not hard because it's hard to keep yourself creative. I would say that's what's hard to me. It is very, very easy to make videos and post them online. Yeah. It is such a massive privilege. That is not hard. I would say keeping my finger on the pulse of like what's interesting and dynamic and creative because I do really feel like I'm creating content that is like a spin on something else, a take on something, being funny, keeping yourself creative. I would say that's what's hard. So I'm putting out those videos. I do Instagram I'll make memes sometimes to make people laugh or I'll post some like inspirational thing I'll post my writing and I do advice on the stories so I'm always interacting with my audience on Instagram the big portion of my Instagram creation takes place in between things. So in the car, on the subway, on my walk, on the treadmill in the morning, wherever I can fit it in. So Instagram feels like something that I dedicate time
0: to, but it's down off moments. So funny. I literally yeah, on the way here, I'm walking down the street is when I Instagram. I yeah. take pictures during the day and I post it all at night. Uh, I-
1: yeah. You have to just like, as you're going throughout the day, TikTok, it'll be like a dedicated hour here or there. Mm-hmm. And then my writing, I always try to find at least an hour to set aside for that, depending on like what the project is obviously this looked different when i was writing a book so the days are different and i would say very busy i try to be very centered on gratitude on a day-to-day basis because like i'm just so lucky that this gets to be my job and my life and that doesn't mean it's not challenging at times but it's like the massive privilege the massive responsibility of it the joy that i get to experience by doing something i love like i I check myself constantly. If I ever feel like complaining, I'm like, do not. This is what you've always wanted. So it's very, very fun. I would say it's like great. And I get to meet people like you, which is like also like an additional added amazing bonus.
0: Well, the feeling is mutual and I feel like I've learned a lot. (laughs) So a question for you. What would you do if Instagram and TikTok all of a sudden disappeared?
1: I'm very lucky that I have my book coming out. So I would probably just like pivot completely to focusing on that. But I'm somebody that likes to have a lot of things going on at once. So I would probably get a job working in theater, I think. Or I would just start running all the projects. Like I would, fingers crossed at this point, the strike would be over and I would like figure out, I would like find director, find a showrunner. I would like want to be writing for television. I would be wanting to write plays, I would want to, like, maybe get a job in arts administration. I think I would have to, like, go back to my roots there. Yeah, I have to connect with that inner child and would definitely, like, be full steam ahead on all this stuff. With the book, but at first I think I would be like, "Oh, this is nice to have a break." But then I think very quickly I would miss it, especially the ability to connect to people.
0: Yeah, there's an no audience. Other way. It's, yeah, the Absolutely. audience. The I audience. That. I love that point that you made about the audience. I fully understand that as someone yeah, who's on stage six nights a week. We love it. I do. I love the audience. They're and amazing. Now that you've said that, I think I will always think about the audience. Yes. And my respect for them. Yeah, so. I love them. <laughs> So I want to talk just a little bit about your book because you have also mentioned writing a number of times. And I feel like if there is a through line in your story, it's really about storytelling. It seems to be your passion. So your book, I Didn't Know I Needed This, The New Rules for Flirting, Feeling, and Finding Yourself. Tell us what we have to look forward to and then tell us about your book tour.
1: Yes, I'm very excited. So the book is such a labor of love. It's really interesting. I met my agents and they said, we see you do these rules videos, rules for first dates, rules for getting out of a funk. We see the reception of them. And we also read your creative nonfiction, your personal essays that you're posting on the Substack blog. And we think there's a marriage and we think there's a book. I always felt like I was going to do fiction first. Mm. I know that I'll write novels. It's like, I know that I'll write movies. I know that I'll write novels. I'll know that I'll write like books of musicals. Like I love fiction because you're right. I love stories. But I was like, no, this is like the right thing at the right time. Like this is the moment for this. I love the idea. And so it's 14 personal essays. It takes you through the life cycle of being in a relationship from being single to being single again. And it just follows all sorts of kinds of relationships, specifically romantic ones, and just teaches you little ways to elevate your lived experience as it relates to our relationship relationships in tangible and accessible ways. And that's kind of like the cornerstone of everything I do. I'm like, people are like, how do you make everything a production in your life? And I'm like, I just do. I don't go to Pilates class and like just like slug there. I go there like I'm getting up and I'm like, we're going to Pilates. I'm listening to my favorite song. I'm in an all pink outfit. Like I am so excited to live my life and I just want to share that with people. So I think that that's really the through line of the book, which I'm so excited about and starting on the 12th when it comes out. We'll have a live show in new york city at sony hall and then i'm going on a book tour of i think 13 cities which i'm very excited about i haven't had the chance to like bring people together in that type of way yet uh as it relates to my career in social media because the pandemic obviously like put a halt on our ability to see each other face to face so i'm really excited to connect with my audience in person it's like the biggest Gift ever. It's so
0: cool. You and I have that in common. I do. I love nothing more than a book tour. I love nothing more than a book party. I'll tell you that. I love a book party. It's just fun to have people together and to be able to talk about what you love. Absolutely. So, where can we find you? Yes. So, you can find all of the information about the book tour,
1: about pre ordering the book internationally or nationally at the theelirallo.com, very easy to find. My Instagram is eli.rallo. TikTok is just Eli Rallo. And you can find all the information for my podcast on my Instagram. So that's all there. And that's, I think,
0: everything. Well, Eli, this has been a massive education to me <laughs> and I assure you to every single person who's been on there. I want to ask you one more thing okay. about confidence. You obviously come across as a very confident person and you've been through quite a lot at the age of 24. Where are you confidence wise now?
1: You know, I would say it's really interesting because I feel like I'm the type of person that I'll look in the mirror and be like, that's somebody that I like to see and I haven't always felt that way. And I'm very sure of myself and who I am, but of course I still get insecure. And I think one thing I'm trying to teach people is that it's impossible to like yourself at 100% 24 seven, like seven days a week, that's not gonna happen. So instead I value respecting myself and respecting myself allows me to say like, I am grateful for this body, I am grateful for this mind, I'm grateful for this heart, this spirit. And it doesn't put that pressure on myself to be like, girl boss, like, yeah, go get her attitude every single day. I'm grateful that I've come to that place because it's such like a, a place of self care where if I wake up not feeling great about myself, I know what I have to do to like, get myself going and feel a little bit better, but I don't require myself to be like, I'm obsessed with you girl every <laughs> single day if that doesn't feel natural to me. So I've gotten to a place where I'm like, I know I like myself. And so when I falter in it, I have like the, the the mechanisms to kind of pick myself back up without being toxically positive, which I think is like such a big, massive problem that we see all over TikTok as well.
0: Yeah, I wanna leave our listeners with one question because sure. you talk a lot about respect. What are you doing to respect yourself this week? Shoot Eli an answer to that. Shoot me a DM to that. I I would love to know what you're doing because I do love what you just said. I think that that is spot on and respecting yourself is a huge part of being who you want to be and getting where you want to be in life. And so, claiming
1: your confidence, for lack of a better phrase. claiming your
0: confidence. <laughs> thank you so much for wrapping that up with a nice show You must have a podcast. Um, Eli, thank you so much for being on here. I'd like thank to thank my amazing Joe, the producer yeah, of Joe. this show who does such an incredible job into Rockefeller Center for providing this beautiful space and newsstand studio. And before I wrap up this podcast, I also want to share some really exciting news. I wanna give you guys a teaser for season two. As you guys know, I have two brothers and a really strong father who've had a huge influence over the course of my life, as has my mother and my sister. One thing I know, having grown up with that family dynamic, is that women do not have the corner on insecurity and we're not the only ones who struggle with confidence. And so I thought it might be fun to mix up season two a little bit and invite one of my really good guy friends to kick off the season in order to talk a little bit about the confidence journey. Season two, which starts at the beginning of February, kicks off with Henrik Lundqvist. He was the goalie for the New York Rangers. He is an incredible man, but in addition to that, he was at the top of his game when he found out that his heart condition was never going to allow him to play hockey again. So I have a million questions I wanna ask him. I know that you guys are gonna really enjoy this, and I cannot wait to introduce a whole new series of guests as we embark on season two of Claim Your Confidence. I'm Lydia Fanath Tune in again next Tuesday when I'll have another wonderful guest. But in the meantime, Eli, thank you for being here. Thank you so much. Bye, guys.